It's our pleasure to welcome a friend of the Advent, uh, Bishop Mike Hill, uh, Bishop of Bristol, uh, a friend of the Advent for many years and someone that we're uh, excited to see again and uh, delighted to welcome again, he and his wife who are with us for this week. Um, uh, A great pleasure. He will be our preacher um, through the week um, until Friday. Uh, Bishop Hill will preach after we sing hymn 561, omitting verse 2. Gracious Father, uphold me that I might uplift thee through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let me begin by saying it's uh, delightful for my wife and I to be with you all again and to be back in Birmingham at the Advent. I'd like to thank Dean Limehouse for his very kind invitation and to him and to all of you for your warm welcome. I want to preach you today from three verses from the book of Jonah, which I guarantee you probably don't go to sleep reading every evening. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. In the 1940s, the Australian government, after the Second World War, were very keen to attract immigrants to that land of exploration and discovery, And so what they did was, to people who were willing to go, they divided land in the bush into farm lots and they sold them for 10 UK pounds apiece. They did nothing to the land. When you bought the land, you just bought a block of land, except they did one thing. They irrigated the land to bring the dry land of the desert bush back to fertility. Unfortunately, What they didn't realize was that when they irrigated the land, they inadvertently meant that the salt table in the land came to the surface and the land that was meant to be fertile, in fact, became barren and dead and the farms became useless. Reminds us of that rather scary law that we're vaguely aware of, but I don't imagine we spend a huge amount of time thinking about the scary law of unintended consequences. Consequences that we don't see coming when we take a particular action. Every day we draw breath. There are unintended consequences, which brings us to the book of Jonah. Beloved by Sunday school teachers, because even if they don't understand its theology, at least the kids have something to draw. And as I read that book, I discovered that there's this kind of odd verse here, and I never understood it for years. It says that, in verse 3, that Jonah paid the fare. 
In the old versions it said, he paid his own fare. And I thought to myself, in the general economy of God, thinking about the word of God and what I need to know to live my life, to honour God, why do I need to know that Jonah paid his fare? And then I got it. You see, when we sin, we always end up paying the price. Every day we draw breath, sin ends marriages and relationships. Sin even causes some illnesses. I'll never forget Ma Hogg in my first parish. Ma Hogg was 97 when she died. And every day of her life she smoked 60 capstan full strength cigarettes. Her daughters in their late 70s when she died slightly bemused me by coming to me and saying stuff like, how could God allow our mum to die? I mean, I'm like, how could God not allow her to die? Sin can bring about untimely death, but worst of all, the unintended consequence of our sin is that it undermines my life with God. And in today's culture, it does feel like talking about sin is not very safe anymore. The impact of 20th century psychology and 20th century sociology mean that it's not a safe currency to use anymore. Why? There are some churches in my country and some in your country that have excised the word sin from their diminishing vocabularies. They don't talk about sin, so they don't see the need of a saviour. And these are folk who ridicule the most important thing that God ever did for you and for me. And that is on the cross of Calvary, Jesus made atonement for our sin. I'll come back to this. For now, we know that Jonah shows us exactly what sin is. God says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah decides he'll head off in the opposite direction to Tarshish. You see, folks like you and me, sin, when we go our own way rather than God's way, and we know that we are very prone to that. That scary verse that Jesus mentions in the Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only those who do the will of my Father. And as I guess you will know, because of Jonah's sin, as the story unfolds, Jonah's sin doesn't just mean that he ended up paying the price, paying the fare to go to Tarshish, but the whole boat that he travelled on and its mariners, its sailors, were put in jeopardy as the great storm threatened them. At the time Jonah decided to go to Tarshish, He wasn't thinking about that. I have every confidence that Jonah justified his behavior, just like you and me justify our behavior rather too often. I can imagine that Jonah said that when he got down to the dock, Lord, there was a boat and there just happened to be one seat left on the boat, so I took it. And in that moment, Jonah had no idea what he had started. He had no idea that he would put the well-being of those sailors in jeopardy. How many people, how many of you in this great cathedral today have messed up your lives because of your sin? 
How many of you through your sin have wrecked the lives of others? It wasn't your intention, but it was just an unintended consequence of your behavior. Marriages in devastation. Kids messed up. Bitter and resentful. People who are just gripped in the ugliness of unforgiveness. The list is long and frankly just creates a mountain of human misery. People still recall here in this very sanctuary some years ago, this sanctuary full of people seeking to release the energy of God's forgiveness in their own lives. And here's my point. A point that I think is well made, though painfully made, at the beginning of Lent. This season for self-reflection. That truthfully, we don't think enough when it comes to our behavior. And we don't take sin that seriously in Western culture. I read somewhere that we practice dog and cat repentance. Imagine for a moment that you leave some cream out on your counter and go out somewhere and come back and when you come back the dog and the cat are there licking the cream the dog looks at you and wags its tail and with its big eyes basically says to you love me, love me, love me and the cat just sits there licking his lips, looking at you saying so do we have a problem? (laughs) neither of these responses is true repentance. But they reflect many of our responses to our sin. Love me, love me, love me. Lord, do we have a problem? Remember this Lent, these very chilling words, the sacrifice of God is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart he will not despise. Remember, that every time we say the general confession according to the Book of Common Prayer, at least the Crimean Book of Common Prayer, we say these words, the burden of our sin is intolerable. But is it? Are we broken? Are we contrite? Maybe you should ask yourself this in this season of Lent. But this would be a miserable message if all I were to do on a Monday lunchtime was to remind you that you are miserable sinners in need of a saviour. And so I have to ask this question, is there hope? And of course, yes there is. And the story of Jonah, as it unfolds, tells us how we access that hope. For the first thing that Jonah did when the boat threatened to go down and take the sailors with it was he took responsibility and said, this is my fault, throw me into the sea. Only, only when we take responsibility for our sinfulness and our wrongdoing, do we access the hope of forgiveness, of repentance, and of being put right. When we take responsibility and stop making our endless excuses, we can find that sweet forgiveness. Today, as Lent begins, we need to remind ourselves that we don't just need the comfort of the Holy Spirit, though God knows we need that. We need the conviction. 
of the Holy Spirit. To convict us of our sin that we might earnestly, earnestly seek God's forgiveness. A couple of years back I invited Frank Limehouse to come to Bristol. And he had two ambitions while he was there. One was to go to Hannah Mount, the place where John Wesley preached his first sermon in the open air. And the second place, was, the second place that Frank wanted to go was to go south of Bristol to a place called Burrington Coombe. To the cleft in the rock in which Augustus' top lady is said to have sheltered during the storm, which inspired his marvellous hymn, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Frank and I had visited both together, though the Brits had somewhat spoilt top lady's cleft in the rock by painting it lime green. <laughs> you remember the words of that hymn. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be for sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Those of you who are theologically educated will know that there has long been controversy about exactly what Augustus top lady meant by the double cure for sin. For me that double cure is very well expressed in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6. If we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us but if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us. The double cure is that God wants to forgive us when we turn to him. But he wants to purify us from the desire to do sin. The double cure is the forgiveness of God and the purifying of his Holy Spirit. Friends, we are all Jonas. We are all prone to head off in our own direction in life and get ourselves in a mess. And maybe this length is really the moment when the Holy Spirit whispers in your ear. I was speaking in a place a while ago and a man came up to me and he said, you know, when you said last time you were here, if the Holy Spirit is speaking in your ear, stand up. I said, yeah, I remember. He said, I didn't stand up. I said, why? He said, because the Holy Spirit wasn't whispering in my ear. The Holy Spirit had taken a baseball back to my head. I don't care what the tone and volume of the Holy Spirit is, but I care passionately that you hear from the Holy Spirit this moment. Oh, addicted person, will you take responsibility? Oh, cheating spouse, are you going to come clean? Oh, frequent liar, when are you going to start telling the truth? Oh, envious person, oh, bitter person, when are you going to seek repentance and the Lord's healing? Angry person, when are you going to allow the touch of God to make you less angry? See, this is our moment. This is our moment when we can throw ourselves at the foot of the cross again and trust what Christ has achieved for you. Nothing 
in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me saviour or I die. Right now, in this great cathedral, some of you are feeling goosebumps. Right now you can hear a pin drop in this place because the Holy Spirit is at work. And this Lent may be your moment, my friend, for you to look again into your life and face the truth about what you see. I told some folks yesterday, I was at a seminar for emotionally healthy spirituality. I'm not sure I know what that is, but I'm sure it's a good thing. And I recall that the man there shot me. I thought he was going to give us stuff like, you know, get a great work-life balance. Kind of nice, but somewhat inane advice. His first thing was, stop lying. Stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to the people you love. Stop lying to God. You know what? I think this Lent could be a time of great significance for you people. Will you listen to the Holy Spirit? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to convict you? And will you come again to that cross of Calvary? The most wonderful spot that has ever been on planet earth. And seek the forgiveness and grace and the application of God's truth to your life. That you might truly become the person that God wants you to be. In the name of our wonderful God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the people who listened agreed and said together in a loud voice, Amen. Amen.